This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. Join us as Michael Van and Eric Jones sit down to engage issues of history and memory, state-constructed narratives, political silences, and the uncomfortable relationships within the contemporary ASEAN framework. Well, welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Jones, and with me in studio is Dr. Michael Van. Welcome, Mike. Hey, thank you. Uh, Michael is a uh, professor at Sacramento State University in the Department of History and uh, uh, is on our campus to talk about a a new project of his, which is entitled, and not just the men, but the women and the children, too. Gendering Narratives of Cold War Violence in Indonesia, Vietnamese, and Cambodian Museums. Thanks for coming to our campus. Oh, it's my pleasure. He's on a whirlwind American tour right now, uh, and so we're, we're happy to, to, to capture him. So for the, for the visitors to Southeast Asia, even, even maybe the casual tourists, there is, a, you know, in what to do in capital city X, Y, and Z, there's always... Uh, these these national museums uh, that come up uh, on our on on our on our on our to do list for for Vietnam, for Cambodia, uh, for Indonesia, and I think we we might go through them and have our own critiques, have our own um, uh, ideas about the veracity or lack thereof, especially for those of us who are historians. Maybe we have a particular uh, eye towards that, but. Um, uh, I think you've done a really interesting project, which is to do that, but also to compare it across um, uh, across various countries. So tell us a little bit about um, these museums and what gave you the idea to start thinking about them in conversation with one another. Yeah, yeah. So one of the, the subtexts of what I'm doing is trying to put the study of Indonesia, Cambodia, Vietnam into a more regional context and kind of try to break through some of that siloing that goes on in the national histories of uh, studying Southeast Asia. I'm doing that by looking at uh, three museum sites, the, the rather famous War Remnants Museum in Ho Chi Minh City, the Tool Slang Genocide Museum in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And then in South Jakarta, there's the much less famous for foreigners, but very well known for Indonesians, um, complex of revolutionary heroes, also known as the Lubang Buaya, the Crocodile Hole, which houses a, a couple of different museum buildings, but the main draw is the Museum of Communist Treachery. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to the we'll get to the issue of of um, why it's why it is such an internally focused museum, mm-hmm. and and the others are are not. But it's a, so these are these are um, kind of wide ranging, but uh, they share uh, one common thread, which is. They deal with um, a particular atrocity. They deal with a particular um, painful episode in their own um, national history. So, maybe give us a little postcard of kind of 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 each of the three museums we're talking about. Right, right. So they're they're all they're all representations of Cold War violence, and importantly, Southeast Asian representations, self representations right. of their national narratives about Cold War violence. So the museum in Jakarta. Uh, commemorates the murder of a handful of Indonesian generals and a lieutenant and a young girl by uh, 
coup plotters, coup, coup planners in 1965, September 30th, um, October 1st, 1965, who uh, uh, seized the top generals in Indonesia, murdered them, and threw their bodies in, a, um, in an abandoned well in an Air Force base. And that murder becomes the pretext, and using John Russo's uh, term, becomes the pretext for mass murder. It becomes the pretext for the slaughter of the Indonesian Communist Party. Their murders are central to the New Order political mythology and the political justification. The the, the murders of these tiny handful, right? The, mur- the murder, yeah. right, right. Excuse, yeah, don't, um, the murder of these generals and and this, and one of the generals' daughters. And they're commemorated in a variety of ways throughout Indonesia, street names, monuments. And then the the, the main focal point for this enterprise is this museum complex on the site where they were, uh, their their bodies were thrown in the well in South Jakarta. Comparing that to the much more famous, internationally famous, War Remnants Museum in uh, Ho Chi Minh City, which used to be the exhibition hall of American and puppet regime war crimes. And it's changed its name to the War Remnants Museum, which is a rather vague museum, or vague name, and we can talk about that. And that's a much, much visited tourist site. It's one of the main tourist sites yeah. in Ho Chi Minh City. And then the, the third uh, case is the Tool Slang Genocide Museum, the former S-21, the Santabal 21 um, uh, uh, torture interrogation uh, center, where some 14,000 people passed through during the Khmer Rouge period, um, uh, a handful of which survived. I think it's seven or eight yeah. in total survived. And uh, it's the, the museum's built on uh, the specific uh, torture site, which is a former high school. And that has also become a very important uh, uh, international tourist site with bringing in lots of revenue, lots of tourist money. And all, I argue that all three of these uh, depictions of mass violence during the Cold War in Southeast Asia are really central to the political narratives, post-colonial political narratives of each of these states. Um, when do they? When do these museums date from? Yeah, yeah. So the the, the building de- in what becomes the Jakarta site, the first thing is a monument built in 1969. So four years after the murder of the generals, it's the the uh, the monument Pancasila um, Sakti. The, the, the monument to the sacred national ideology. Then in um, 1980, uh, 82, the um, Museum of Communist Treachery is, is opened up. Or first, first the Museum Peseban with the, the, the House of Relics. And in 1992, the official wing of the Museum of Communist Treachery. And then they've added on to it in 2013. There's a, a whole new wing. There's also a, uh, in front of the, the Panchasila Monument, the former well, what would have been the well that became the gravesite, has been reinforced in concrete, painted blood red, and in this rather spooky fashion, and has a, um, a joglo, joglo uh, sort of, uh, what do you call it, a uh, veranda or couple, couple um, gazebo kind of structure, right. like a, an, open, an open air, a wallless structure with traditional Javanese architecture. And then a, in between the museum and... Um, the uh, the well of death. There's the veranda of torture, where there's uh, they've rebuilt this house and there's life size mannequins, uh, depicting the alleged uh, torture and suggesting the alleged sexual mu- uh, mutilation of these generals by the coup plotters and also women who are part of the, uh, the alleged to be part of the Indonesian Communist Party and the 
I'm repeating alleged several times for a very right. important reason. Uh, you you mentioned this, but it, yeah. uh, it it's pretty striking that you have in, in two of your examples, uh, you know, a museum of 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 communist treachery, and then uh, a museum of you know. Um, you know, capitalist war crimes. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's uh, which is not the full title, but um, <laughs> but but I mean, it's a it's it's a pretty it's a pretty striking juxtaposition. But that that was the initial impetus. I, I I knew of these museums and I visited them, and they had so many similarities. They're built about the same time. They're in two Southeast Asian countries near each other. They're they're all members of ASEAN, and ASEAN's trying to promote this mm-hmm. uh, regional identity. Um, on the other hand, their political ideologies are completely at, at odds couldn't against be, each other. Yeah. And the representations yeah. of those couldn't be more yeah. one, at you odds. Know, yeah. One is a celebration of arguably one of the two most successful communist revolutions in world history uh, in Ho Chi Minh City with that narrative. And the other, the, it, it's the Museum of Communist Treachery. The, the whole purpose yeah. of the museum is to tell you how awful communists are. Yet... These are major museums in countries that are supposed to get along within ASEAN. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind of it's worth again the the that the degree to which those narratives are at play and makes again we can only speculate, but the the Indonesia's um, shall we say. Uh, not a high degree of self-reflection about its own about its own past, and a, a kind of a uh, and hence maybe an, an inward uh, marketed mm-hmm. uh, museum. Uh, maybe the intent that hey, you know, Vietnamese or Americans or other people shouldn't go to this museum. <laughs> this is a this is a this this museum in uh, in Indonesia is for Indonesians. Yeah, well, so both museums initially were for domestic consumption. The Lubang Buaya site is for Indonesians. Uh, initially, the um, the Vietnamese exhibition hall is for Vietnamese. I mean, it's it's created in in um, the late 1970s. It's there's not a lot of foreigners coming through Ho Chi Minh City, <laughs> and <laughs> there's just, and it's um, and it's you know it, it's also directed at a South Vietnamese audience. Who, in many ways, were uh, an occupied uh, population. Yeah. Occupied. Yes, they were the, the foreigners. North. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, or, or, or not supposed to be the foreigners. You're <laughs> right. now, we're now all part of the same state, and this is this is. Selling. You need to get on board with the narrative. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So they they both they initially have these very strong, strident political agendas, um, but the the Vietnamese agenda changes over time. So so yeah. they they're they're in I guess at their at their Origins, they're part of a, would you say, a, a kind of imagined community-style national myth-making. Um, and Indonesia seems to have, uh, as you say, doubled down, kind of dug in uh, to, with that, uh, that version of events. And, and while it may have started for that in Vietnam, it has is, it is, uh, gone a different direction. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's what was so interesting, looking at these museums over the past uh, almost 15 years is I've seen the Vietnamese museum change. Uh, the most important thing is the name changes from yeah. Exhibition Hall of American and Public Regime War Crimes to Exhibition Hall of War Crimes, where they stop pointing fingers, to War Remnants. I mean, War Remnant, it's, it's a really vague name. What does it mean? It's almost, it's almost right. like the passive voice. Super neutral, yeah. yeah and and um, 
to its credit, and, and the museum's really quite strong, to its credit, they've moved towards uh, reconciliation as a major theme. Never forgetting the past, there's a whole section called Historical Truths, which gives a narrative of this is a, an American war of aggression. And it's, it's, the narrative is very clear, but now, post-1995, post post-2000, wow. post-2015, uh, now we can really move towards reconciliation. And the exterior of the museum is decorated with children's art that is both anti-war, but also very green, very environmentalist, and has this sort of optimistic uh, sense of a, of a global future with the children leading the way. On the top floor, there's a section of the museum called the Dove, and it's a children's room. And there's, uh, there's uh, you know, an, an interpretive uh, activities for children about the war. Um, unimaginable in Jakarta. In Jakarta, they're doubling down on the same narrative that's created in the chaos after um, the, the murder of the generals when General Suharto is seizing power, pushing President Sukarno out of power in this sort of drawn-out coup, and it, where in the background there's the, the mass murder of half a million, a million, maybe more we really don't know. Um, alleged members of the Indonesian Communist Party, fellow travelers, union activists, left-wing artists, labor organizers, peasant organizers, women's groups. Um, it is in the that commemoration of the murder of a handful of officers is used to really institute an incredibly successful right-wing reaction against. Just name your favorite 1960s liberation movement, and it. The New Order is a reaction against that. So that that the commemoration of the murder of those generals and the obsession with that really is foundational for the New Order dictatorship from 66 to 1998, 32 years. But with the advent of um, the restoration of democracy and the reformasi period, there's no revision of this foundational history. It, it, it stays. And, and, and with the museum, it's amazing that they've added on to it and double down and um, support this narrative and uh, have uh, still have the military parades out there and when when you when you mentioned that you know that you were surprised to see a new it's been it's been uh, all, it's many years since I've been there uh, and that there's a new building there I thought like okay well he's going to tell us that in this new exhibition hall is like look um, there were these there were these killings um, and but the, and and here's how they were justified, and here's and here's oh the the, uh, ma- the mass murder yeah uh, here's here's the right you have the you have the death of the of the generals but like now um, we have these murders that we're, we would call like justified killings and uh, this is how uh, is there any mention at all of the scale of even even in even in a putting a positive spin for them on it is there any mention at all of the of the massive loss of life that goes on in uh, from after September 30th, 1965? No, no. The, the only section that's in there is the military operation around uh, Blitar in, um, in East Java, sort of southeast Java, that last military operation, which is uh, what the summer of 1968. And that's presented as a traditional military operation, not um, it's, you know, a, a fight, a, a counterinsurgency campaign against armed rebels, not... The, the the like the last political and, mopping up and our campaign. and our uh, in case our listeners don't know mm-hmm. I mean uh, 
even the most even the the most uh, blinkered observer in Indonesia in in 1965 66 the the rivers were filled with bodies the 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 towns were uh, missing their inhabitants uh, I mean we have we have in terms of in terms of the rapacity the 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 the, the quickness of the killings um, maybe one of the maybe one of the most violent few months uh, we've seen in the 20th century. And uh, it would be like, you know, maybe we'll talk about the Cambodian Museum in a minute. It would be like talking about the Khmer Rouge without talking about the killing fields. Yeah, yeah. And, and that mass murder is accompanied by mass incarceration. Yeah. Which for, for many across at all Buru Indonesia. Island, yeah. yeah. Buru Island, for example, goes on for well over a decade. And there's all sorts of people that are not, they're not PKI members. They're fellow travelers, a variety of people caught up in this. And that that uh, political stigma of being ex-topple or uh, ex-political prisoner becomes mm-hmm. almost genetic. So the children of ex-topple um, would, would have yeah. this taint upon them. And for, even after the release of political prisoners, they have it marked on their ID cards that they're former political prisoners. And so the, in, in addition to the mass murder, which is important, needs to be studied more, there's the mass incarceration state, uh, which is just it, truly stunning. Museum in in Cambodia, Toolslang S twenty one. It's uh, it maybe more than the than even the other two is a prime destination for anyone visiting mm-hmm. the capital city in um, in Phnom Penh. What what anthropologists of uh, tourism are calling dark tourism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's a it's a it's right. Got to be right up there. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a, it has a, a very interesting. Uh, legacy uh, in terms of how it w- and how it was created. I guess um, you know the 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 crocodile pits, the Luangwaia in Indonesia. Those, those are the 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 kind of accidental dump site of the the, the where they happen to uh, dump the bodies of the mm-hmm. murder generals. Um, uh, but uh, Tulslang uh, is has an entire history mm-hmm. um that that predates its its existence as a as a museum so um give us a give us a give us a sense of what that is so it's a high school it's a high school in uh in not in the center of Phnom Penh, but in the city that uh upon the uh, Khmer Rouge seizure of Phnom Penh on April 17th uh, 1975 when they famously told the population the Americans are going to bomb we have to get you out of here they take, you know, the, the million residents of Phnom Penh plus, what, maybe another million refugees. Huge exodus of, of population out. As they depopulate the city, they arrest uh, uh, government uh, officials from the Law and regime and soldiers. And those are the initial people sent to uh, this high school that they turn into an interrogation center. Then, after a few weeks, a few months... Then it becomes a site for the Khmer Rouge's internal political purges, purging the um, purging the Khmer Rouge uh, uh, leadership, and it's it's 
sort of high value targets. So not your your average person who runs into trouble with the government, but fairly high ranking leaders of uh, the Khmer Rouge are going to be sent to S twenty one. It's their 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 highest uh, highest priority, most secret uh, prison site. And from um, as we get into nineteen seventy five up until the uh, the Vietnamese army uh, invades and, and occupies Phnom Penh in January nineteen seventy nine. Uh, some 14,000 people pass through uh, S-21 and under 10, it's somewhere between 6 and 8, um, uh, are killed. There's just it's, it's a very small handful right. that, That's of not six or 8,000. That's like single-digit Individuals, six right, people. Right, right, right. Um, you, know, you can count yeah. them on two hands. So it – and um, they're not – most people do not die there. The vast majority are tortured or held for uh, a day or maybe a few weeks uh, interrogated, tortured. We've got the records um, uh, that were preserved. DC Cam, a, a documentation center in Cambodia, has done a wonderful job preserving these and, and, and publicizing them and, and, and analyzing these uh, these interrogations. David Chandler has this you know fantastic book, Voices from S Twenty One, where he just systematically right. goes goes through there and 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 from these documents uh, explains the experience of uh, of passing through S Twenty One. And then from there, they're taken uh, primarily to Cheongak, the uh, what's what's also now a tourist site, uh, the the most famous of the killing fields, and and executed um, just a few kilometers outside of uh, outside of town. So that's it has this history as this. Um, you don't want to say prison because prison implies that someone's there for a specific length of time. That you're 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 right. you're rehabilitation or yeah, or that the the time spent there is your sentence. But it's it's an interrogation center. It's a torture center. Yeah, and and our and again, our listeners might not know. Yeah. And, and scholars have pointed this out that uh, it served largely as a um, uh, a feed internal feedback loop for uh, Pol Pot and the sort of the, the leadership cadre to. To hear the um, the conspiracy theory enemies within kind of narratives that they had about that justified their their massive um, uh, killing interrogation or uh, uh, repopulation mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that that uh, you know that this paranoia of there were KGB everywhere CIA everywhere Vietnamese spies everywhere and oh, yeah. so yeah so these these people that come in there they get interrogated and the DC, you mentioned the DC cam records they yeah. they're constantly uh, shockingly, at, under the third interrogation, uh, a, a Cambodian fisherman suddenly is okay. Fine, I was KGB and and CIA. And CIA. Yeah. No, it's, it's um, the, the as, as Chandler points out. I mean, the, these these transcripts are just patently absurd. I mean, just, just absurd. It's it's the the interrogator is going for a specific agenda and torturing these individuals until they get them. For what purpose is still yeah. we're still sort of puzzling through. But like you said, it's it's a it's a political feedback loop. Um, there also, as the Khmer Rouge experiment, you know, starts to really go off the rails, there probably are individual leaders uh, in yeah. the Khmer Rouge around uh, around the country who who are finding uh, issue with this, and, or certainly, and, or certainly the the ones who are given insane quotas, yeah. production quotas. Yeah. They, they they you know they're they're bending you know or be, be, time and space to <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, they could be unsure about about the. Yeah. The, this regime. I mean, the best example of this is uh, Cambodia's current leader, who who leaves Cambodia and is in charge of one of the eastern provinces. Leaves in 1977, goes to Vietnam, and and 
is in the leadership of the invasion and the overthrow of the Khmer Rouge regime. So, and, and none, none of this discussion should be taken as um, not recognizing the, the, the true horror that these individuals went through, the incredible human suffering. It's just to complicate this discussion that this, that the tool slang site, this museum, this genocide museum, is really a, it was really the site of the Khmer Rouge's internal political purging. And in some ways, it's not that representational of the horrific uh, experience of the vast majority of Cambodians under the Khmer Rouge regime. The vast, the, the, the true horrors are the, the, the prolonged, slow death in the mm. collective farms, yeah. the, the malnutrition, the, the collapse of any sort of social services, the dying of an infection from a cut on your foot that in any society you could have been taken care of. Um, and the you know the the beatings and the and the variety of violence imposed on the collective farms and that's where the vast majority of the Cambodians died. I mean, the, the larger accepted estimate is what one point seven million people, um, fourteen thousand right. passed through Tool Sling, which is you know which each one is is, is horrifying and it should be commemorated, but my point is that that fourteen thousand is not really representational of what the Khmer Rouge experience was. That's going on on the collective farms in the countryside. Um, so that, that raises some interesting questions about the Tool Sling Museum, which is yeah. an incredibly powerful museum. Um, it's also uh, an, an interesting um, uh, story on the, the origins of the museum. It's not initially Cambodian. Yeah, I was going to go there. So, yeah, so, so yeah. how does it start? So the, the museum is created when the Vietnamese invade. So after um, years of political fighting between the Vietnamese communist leadership and, and the Khmer Rouge, which turns into uh, cross-border raids in the late Khmer Rouge period, Vietnam invades in December 1978, um, in no small part due to the violence being enacted against ethnic Vietnamese in Cambodia. Um, yeah. And in the space of a few weeks, the regime comes toppling down. They uh, occupy Phnom Penh in January 1979. And um, some Vietnamese uh, photojournalists with the military um, allegedly followed the smell and find this horrific uh, site where just a few days before the last executions are going on, there's still blood. I mean, there's still, there's still human remains at the Tool Slang site. And they're horrified by this. The Vietnamese um, uh, political leadership and military leadership are, are horrified by this. And seize upon it not just to show the uh, the horrors of the Khmer Rouge regime, but also to justify the Vietnamese occupation of Cambodia, the invasion and occupation of Cambodia, because Vietnam will occupy Cambodia for a decade. The S twenty one site is um, turned into a museum for very specific political purposes, both for a domestic Cambodian audience, but also for an international audience. The, so right, the, anyone yeah. who would question the the invasion of the Vietnamese, they can say like, look, look, look uh, what we put it into. You, you know, it would be like questioning um, the 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 occupation of, of Germany uh, mm -hmm. in in World War II. Like, look, yeah, look what we put it into, and uh, so uh, they they initially they immediately make plans to start developing the muse, uh, the site into a museum, and in 1980 it's opened as a, as a museum site. And the, uh, it's, again, it's done by the Vietnamese. And the colonel that's put in charge of it, Mai Lam, actually plays a very important role in 
earlier on developing what becomes the War Remnants Museum in Ho Chi Minh City. So he had this previous experience of creating museum sites. Um, so he, he plays a hand in both. He also works with a couple of East German uh, advisors who, um, uh, one of my friends, the, the journalist, Peter, uh, Peter McGuire, was able to interview. And he, he, um, Peter also interviewed uh, Mai Lam. And one of the things that he stresses in his book, uh, Facing Death in, uh, in Cambodia, is that these guys were true believers in the revolution. They were true believers in Marxism, both the Vietnamese and the East Germans. And they said they were horrified. So you've got to, they've got they've got this problem. Like uh, if that's if it's the superior political system, what what do you do with the Khmer Rouge? Yeah, right? they they, were, they say they say uh, in an interview with Peter that they were horrified that this violence was done in the name of the hammer and sickle. Mm. So in creating this museum, they they said they actively chose to emulate the style and the aesthetic choices of anti-Nazi memorials. And they wanted to associate Khmer Rouge violence with fascism, which would be ideologically the opposite of the Khmer Rouge violence, which was, you know, a, a very extreme interpretation of Marxism. So that in the, the initial inception of the museum, there are stylistic choices that are designed to create some political ambiguity, if not confusion. And one very, very clear thing is that there's no, there's no communist imagery. There's no hammers and sickles. There's not a lot of red and yellow. You mean, you mean depictions of the of the of the, of the Khmer Rouge? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it's all very stark, bare concrete. Uh-huh. And um, they, um, uh, my lab and, and his team made uh, trips to Eastern Europe to study the anti uh, anti Nazi memorials um, in uh, in Eastern Europe and uh, choose elements of of those memorials to put into place in uh, in tool slang. So this is all to say that when comparing these three sites, Jakarta has this very clear political narrative, anti-communism. In uh, Vietnam, it's this uh, initial nationalist celebration of the revolution narrative that that changes as as time changes and becomes more nuanced. Whereas in Cambodia, initially the political narrative is is a little confusing. It's... the 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 enemy the the evildoer is the Pol Pot clique. That's what the signs say. Pol Pot clique. Well, what what does that mean? Pol Pot clique. I mean, it, it's uh-huh. really narrowing the scope down and, and stripping of it. It's of its uh, ideological baggage. Because because Tool Slang, uh, as Tony when served as an actual um, the actual site where uh, interrogation center it it had. Uh, um, the shocking, much like sort of uh, concentration camps, uh, that uh, torture facilities, um, stocks, cells, leg irons um, that are that 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 exist there, um, and the, which the, which the Vietnamese are 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 happy to to preserve or or to memorialize the kind of mm-hmm. uh, the have the. So that when the, after the Vietnamese Vietnamese leave, um, what role do the does the Cambodian government take in 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 changing it? Does the narrative uh, evolve? Are they you know they're 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 not trying to cozy up with their own 
DK pass, they're happy to mm-hmm. to, to distance themselves as well. So maybe they, I mean, do do they do they change the uh, the, the the form and the function of the, of the museum when when it's in their hands. Yeah. So when when you visit the museum today, you can see these layers of exhibits. The ground floor, are some of the initial exhibits, and then as you go up to the second and third floors of the museum, you see more recent exhibits that are much more politically nuanced. That talk. Uh, when I was there just um, uh, three weeks ago, there's a temporary exhibit that focuses on children, and and the main the main. Uh, uh, arena there is the experience on the collective farm and in the countryside. There's a diorama of a collective farm. There's a, a recreation of a school. So it's so trying to tell the larger experience. It's much yeah. more nuanced, much more complex, very professional, very sophisticated. Whereas on the ground floor is uh, you find exhibits that are, that are the initial exhibits that are, uh, again, done in this, um, this uh, anti-fascist style that are very bare and they're, they're very minimalist. So there'll be a, there'll be a room with nothing in there but the bed that someone was chained to, and um, and then a photograph from the Vietnamese photojournalist that discovered that room in January 1979 and what it, what it looked like then, and so it's the idea is that you're entering onto this sacred site where these horrors happened, and you the museum visitor get get to get to experience that. Yeah, and this and in in this kind of haunting uh, yellow and white. Yeah. checkered floors um yeah. and walls kind of left uh you know kind of un uncleaned mm-hmm. um uh you know uh we don't want to get exaggerate but but blood stained to a certain extent uh the the uh it feels uh perhaps by intent or just yeah. because it was it feels like someone was just there mm-hmm. um and and you walked into a and they've, uh, and they've got the um, the preserved or restored cells on uh, in some of the buildings where the, the small cells where prisoners were kept. And so the, the idea is that you're going on the site where these tortures happened and seeing the, the implements and the, the locale of, of where these crimes were committed. Um, again, it, the, it's, it's without a lot of political context and political nuance. And uh, the fully developed historical narrative in the older sections, they're on the ground floor. As you go up the floors, especially on the third floor, there's some really great exhibits. Unfortunately, when I was doing site observations a couple weeks ago, one of the things I observed is that relatively few visitors go beyond the ground floor. It's hot, you have to walk upstairs. Everyone ha- now there's an audio guide, which is actually quite good. And everyone's got these headphones on, and they're not talking to each other, and and people are just sort of following the crowd. And, and most visitors are not choosing to go to the second floor, let alone the third floor, where um, I think really, if you're, you know, as a historian, where the real complexity is. So the current state of the museum is is very professional, is very sophisticated, but you need a very active visitor to get the full experience. Many Western tourists I talk to say, oh, one of the most powerful things I saw in Southeast Asia was uh, tool slaying, you know. And I said, well, what did you, what did, what did you see there? Oh, we saw the, you know, the, the horrors of, uh, of the Khmer Rouge. And, and I asked them questions about, well, who did this? Like, well, it was communist violence. And, okay, well, who was it against? Why did they do it? And there the, 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 the average viewer generally doesn't get that information. 
They generally don't know that it was uh, right. mostly party members. A third there. of the country that was murdered in auto genocide when, was when passed the, through tool slang. Yeah, which is yeah, which is which is just not the case. Logistically yeah. impossible. Yeah. Also, <laughs> and, it, 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 and it, it, this is not any way to condemn the museum, but just to to open yeah. up a discussion on how representational this site is of the horrors of the Khmer Rouge and, regime. And speaking of the way that it, it's become a cipher for um, the genocide. Um, is if you if you if you do an image search of of uh, Khmer Rouge, or I'm 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 going to guess here that one of the first things you'll come up with is is these haunting mugshots mm-hmm. of the inmates of um, of, of Tool Slang um, as they as they were entering the facility or about to get tortured. Um, uh, you you had some interesting takeaways about these these images and and the way that gender factors in, et cetera. Tell us a little mm-hmm. about um, how, how those play a role in the representation at Tool Slang. Right. So the, um, those mugshots uh, taken um, by a photographer, um, one photographer who did most of them, um, uh, every, every prisoner I went through there was photographed with a number uh, the Khmer Rouge are these you know, obsessive Stalinist record keepers in, in that regard. These, um, these photographs really are iconic of the Khmer Rouge uh, regime and of the museum. Um, the, uh, they were in a, in a back room, uh, an upper room, uh, stored in the 1990s when uh, a couple of foreign journalists, among them Doug Niven, working with AFP, were talking to the museum staff and say, oh, you know, because some of the photographs were on display, and Doug Niven and the others were, said, "Oh, you know, do you know where the rest of these photos are?" And they go, oh, "We think we know where they are." And they found them in this storeroom. They found six thousand of these slides, and said, "Well, you know, can we copy them and preserve them?" And they, and they started that work, which they eventually handed over to DC Cam, which has done um, done such a great job. And in these these images, um, when you go to the museum. You know, out of these six thousand photos, you start to see some familiar faces. Some of them are more stunning photographs than others, so there's a choice there. But you also see a, a, a fair number of women, and some really tragic photographs of children. Huh. You know, why, why would a, why would a child be sent here, or why would a mother with an infant be sent here and be be uh, get this mugshot taken for her interrogation? There's a particular haunting one I that I I I can't stop thinking about, which is that there's a Almost off frame, there's a child, uh, you know, there's a mother standing there and then uh, they, the camera happened to catch like the, you know, the child clinging to her. Right, <laughs> oh, right. Just... What, I mean, what, you know, it's totally horrifying. Um, however, this is a very, very small percentage of the individuals that went through tool slang. Um, Chandler's book estimates it's you know, six to seven percent of the... We're, um, we're, we're female. We're female of hmm. the 14,000. 14, Whereas I and I, I did not do a full count, but the impression you get walking through the museum is uh, it's about the images of women, thirty to forty percent, and there's some bulletin boards. So it's these famous bulletin boards that are just filled with uh-huh. you know a hundred mug shots all next to each other. Several bulletin boards that are women only, and in some ways the um, the women are overrepresented in terms of the individuals that went through tool slang. And, and why is this? And what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm critiquing is that this is sort of a, a gendered move on the museum curators to elicit a more, elicit a more powerful emotional impact. And yeah. using gender to, to 
again, get, get emotion out of the um, these the Im- innocent observer. women were murdered. Um, that uh, the idea of, of woman and child as the ultimate innocence and thus ultimate victim, which uh, is, is a is a nice pivot point to mm-hmm. um, the museum in in Indonesia, yeah. which which takes a very different tack towards uh, women in this uh, conflagration. Uh, how are women portrayed? In um, uh, in the September 30th museums. Yeah, yeah. And so you see this both in the museum collection, which has lots of dioramas, both miniature and life-size dioramas, and in the um, the the bas relief, the famous um, uh, mural telling the story of the September 30th coup and Suharto's restoration of order that's uh at the the, the ponchisila monument it's a long wrapping panel this long wrapping yeah thing. yeah it's maybe 60 feet long and, and very detailed and and so what, what's presented is that communism comes in creates social chaos women uh in some images are sort of scared by the social chaos but there's also women that join in the communist movement and they let their hair down they're, they're wearing loose-fitting clothes. And the myth that the army spread is that these women who were members of Gerwani, which was not a communist-controlled organization, it was a, a, a women's liberation uh, movement, a fellow traveler with the, with the PKI, the Indonesian Communist Party, absolutely, but not, not the women's auxiliary, so to speak, right? right? But a fellow traveler um, group uh, focused on women's, um, women's liberation issues. And... Uh, the rumors that the army spread is that members of the Garwani sexually mutilated the generals and were there at their killing and even did the dance of the flowers, um, the sexually suggestive dance, this folk dance, as the generals are, are being murdered. It's, it's a total fabric- fabrication. So um, there, there's, uh, there's uh, uh, this kind of – the only way to, to – to maybe a touch point for Western audiences, mm. like demonic witches. There's a a, very, t- a like, touch point for Indonesian yeah. audiences too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they are presented as demon, witch, whore. They are sexualized. They are, um, the, the, at the, the Ponchisila uh, monument um, statue, they're in these very, very suggestive, sexualized dancing positions. Right, as bad women. At bad women, at their hair down as as the generals are are being dumped into the well. And there's one woman who's behind the scene of the a general going into the well, and she's leaning against a post with a very low cut top, and and this has this sort of come hither attitude. It's completely, completely so over the top. A little literal orgy of violence yeah, that, uh, yeah. that produces this. And then right, right next to the well of death, where the general's bodies uh, were were discovered, is this veranda of torture, where uh, allegedly the Garwani uh, women participated in the torture and mutilation of the generals. And there, there's life size mannequins of communist women with long hair and sort of. Maoist-looking outfits, some holding hammers and sickles, just in case you missed the point. And um, they're Sub- subtle. <laughs> they're 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 egging on this torture, and they and you. It's this this house, these life-size mannequins, and you. There's tinted glass around it, and you stick your head inside there, and you look around, and there's spooky music playing from the um, the propaganda film, this docudrama made in the 1980s that Suharto commissioned about the murder of the generals. It helps to 
perpetuate this myth of uh, sexual violence. I, I like the uh, the analogy you made because it's really true. That it's it's like uh, sort of late seventies slasher films. Absolutely, it's it, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's these it's this this crazy over the top blood everywhere this gothic gothic music i mean the the movie's three hours and 45 minutes right and these these death scenes are drawn out and and um you know the uh the family members of the generals who are shot like putting their hands in the blood and wiping it on their face is completely completely over the top and the depiction of the gerwani women in the torture scene at a lubang buaya is they're just these wild witches um, doing this lascivious dance, and it's sort of—it's really um, the Indonesian word would be kasar, right? Mm-hmm. It's sort of crass, vulgar, popular, just um, just nasty. So, so that's that's the the evilness of women, and the the political subtext here is that this is what communism, Marxism, women's liberation is gonna get you. So, mm-hmm. at the right. monument um, to the Pontius, uh, the Panchasila. Suhar- there's an image of Suharto establishing order, and behind General Suharto are three women in very nicely dressed with their hair tied up in a bun in you know traditional Javanese style, holding babies in their arms with their heads down and their eyes downcast, completely submissive. And it's it it is it is it, it is not subtle at all. The, the contrast. Ge- the yeah. general comes in, puts women back in their place. And the gender order is restored. So it's, it's, it's fascinating because there's this idea that Marxism is dangerous. Marxism is going to liberate women. It's going to make them violent. So it has to be eradicated to reestablish the social order. Uh, and it, it seems um, clearly, clearly uh, portrayed and re-portrayed to to emphasize. Um, uh, I get the sense of, or whatever you might have heard about all of these deaths, uh, this is it, it. It it was for a good cause, and that that they're still out there. Maybe that these that this is this is a this is not just history. This is this is right now. Um, right, this yeah. is a still, uh, despite the fact that of the the purge was very thorough, uh, that, that somehow that there's this enemy within, right, right, which which necessitates the dictatorship, which I mean it's it's the again this political foundation, and you see this in the museum, like the museum not only has these dioramas of incredible violence, it's also got these dioramas of PKI folks having meetings. Lots and lots of meetings, sitting around a table, smoking cigarettes, talking about you know Marxist ideology and revolutionary strategy, or or voting on some issue. Yeah. And um, I, I make the joke in the presentation that you know Oscar Wilde was right. You know the the problem with socialism is it takes up too many evenings. I mean, the, in the museum, there's this hilarious <laughs> juxtaposition of PKI violence and PKI meetings, but it's but it's powerful because it means they're planning, they're plotting. That they may be out of the public eye right now, but they could be in a room somewhere smoking cigarettes, planning our demise. And like the rumors of PKI Hitam, you know, black PKI lurking in the shadows persist throughout the new order. 
And even today, there's groups that um, are, you know, will, will demonstrate in the streets of Jakarta or elsewhere and, and talk about the dangers of, of the return of the uh, PKI. I naively thought that, okay, well, clearly that is a narrative that is in place to justify the dictatorship of Suharto. And when he falls in 98, like all of that, um, we don't need any of that anymore. And it's going to, that'll go away because it's, it's, it was such an overreach, uh, to put it mildly, that, uh, that will, um, uh, be in the dustbin of, of history. History, But it's, uh, it absolutely, it's, it's persisted that, and that's so striking if you think about, uh, the, the evolution that, that the Vietnamese regime that 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 um, against all odds won and has stayed in power quite quite handily and dominantly um, has seemed to uh, allow an evolution in its own in its own reconstruction of of. Uh, of the war, yeah. uh, of yeah. of the struggle, of what what is what's going yeah. on? So I mean, I think that the the Vietnamese Communist Party and the Vietnamese state is just much more confident, it's much more comfortable, and can can from allow, a place of strength, a, a place yeah, political strength, and right. um, can allow these revisions to this very important museum. I mean, the uh, and, and and the Vietnamese Communist Party has been very very successful at moving with the changing political winds globally with the, uh, the Doi Moi uh, economic restructuring and now this gl- uh, period of global reintegration. And they, you know, they, they are in firm political control and thus are confident enough to allow for more sophisticated, nuanced political discussions in these public history sites. I, Whereas the Indonesian government is yeah. has never evidently has never really felt comfortable enough. And I think part of what's going on is um, the new order was really successful in establishing the Lubang Waya narrative as sort of the foundation. And, you know, the, one of the things that's done is that uh, that three-hour, 45-minute docudrama is uh, uh, filmed in, in the early 1980s and then screened on the anniversary of the murder of the murder of the generals on national television, on national television, and, and screened in theaters, and school children were marched down there to watch it. So, I mean, just today, I was speaking with one of your graduate students who said that yeah, as a child, we had to go watch that film, and he and he said it was so awful, it was so violent. I mean, how could you show? Yeah, we this we to can't overstate. Like, if you want to go on YouTube, you can see. Like, it it is it the, is the whole it, thing's on YouTube. Yeah, it is it is really like violence on violence. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sh- shockingly so. Yeah, and 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 Benedict Anderson found the autopsy report. The generals weren't tortured; they weren't sexually mutilated. It didn't. It didn't happen. Suharto was there when the bodies were exhumed. Yeah, they, they, there was no sign. They knew this. The army leadership knew that this is a lie. That story is so useful. Like you can't. It's incredibly useful. You, you know. You don't. Yeah. Uh, you know. You don't let truth get in the way of such a such a um powerful uh yeah. national yeah. myth the it's 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 just struck me you you brought up that uh you know in vietnam there seems to be a pivot uh, in some of its museums towards uh kind of like um causes of 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 national of success or 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 of aspiration of 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 peace stability um environmental consciousness mm-hmm. Um, it struck me that you know maybe the 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 being um, 
those are things that the the government is aspiring to deliver and maybe delivering it on by some indicators um uh uh that uh it, it's it's uh it's in it for the long haul and it's it it's it's wants a new narrative that that is uh going to purpose be of use to the na- to the to the nation more than um this old one i uh, mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. well, it's, again it's it's from a position of political security and strength that they're able to do this and the even you know with 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 the restoration of democracy it it has not been a stable ride for indonesia since 1998 um yeah there's, I mean, there's there's even buyer's remorse about uh, you know as you point out like the yeah. the you know the good old days yeah. no of, there's the, the sars right Sin, 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 SARS is syndrome Akurindu uh, Suharto. I, I, I miss Suharto syndrome, um, a pining for the good old days of the new order, right? I mean, make, make Indonesia yeah. great again, make Indonesia raya again. <laughs> <laughs> uncertain uh future that that democracy is messy and mm-hmm. it uh the you know if you look at if you look at singapore or if you look at vietnam or if you look at other states that you know or thailand that um it's 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 regimes but it's it's citizenry um if you talk to you know we have friends and you talk to them and and you would think they might be incensed by some of these things and not that they aren't but the trade-off um, of, of, you know, if you talk to a Singaporean, like the messy, the world's highest, uh, uh, you know, per capita income versus the, <laughs> the chaos of Indonesia, uh, no thanks. I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll have slightly censored what I can say publicly or not. Um, just even, fine. Even, even, I hate to say it, even some of the popular support for Duterte's, uh, campaign of violence yeah. against, um, Against uh, alleged drug uh, traffickers, um, and I mean, they, yeah, there, there, there is this authoritarian uh, bargain that's going on throughout Southeast Asia. Yeah, and it's one to see that uh, again, and, and it's interesting. Um, I think uh, we should all, like, like you've done, pay more attention to, to these, to the stories that uh, that the that the masses are being told that the that the school kids are being bust into and and fed those are the those kinds of um that kind of mythos is the uh tells you a lot about um the the fears the anxieties the the mm-hmm. the, the strengths mm-hmm. the, the aspirations of of the state as much as about any uh other thing could yeah yeah and just to loop back around to something earlier the um uh, that theme of the presentation of women and the use of gender in oh, yeah. the museums. So in in Jakarta, there's this idea that communism liberates women and is thus bad and dangerous, and the women become violent. Well, in Ho Chi Minh City, in the War Remnants Museum, although some of this has been moved over to the um, Museum of, of Southern Women, which is a few blocks away, which really celebrates the women's contribution to the, the national, the campaign for national unification and, and the revolution, is that this museum also says, yeah, uh, w- Marxism will liberate women, and they'll become violent because they'll take up arms and they will fight for 
national unification. And um, strange when, agreement. There. Yeah, when, when I when I go from the museum in Jakarta to the museum in Ho Chi Minh City, it's like, well, in, in some ways, this is this was Suharto's nightmare. These are these are liberated women fighting for their independence. I mean, we it would be a long discussion whether or not uh, the Vietnamese socialist experiment has smashed patriarchy. Um, I think that that's a yeah. separate discussion. But the image that's presented is. Um, not the subservient woman raising child, but the woman as fighter, the woman as worker, the woman as active uh, historical agent, which is just in such sharp contrast to uh, to Jakarta. Um, before we before we go, Mike, tell us about uh, some of the some of the projects you've got in the wings uh you've got a you've got a book coming out soon yeah, yeah, give yeah. us a, give us a tiny snapshot and maybe we'll have you back to to talk about that in particular but let it, yeah well yeah hope hope we can come back cuz i i you know, if, you, if you think I can talk about these museums for a couple hours, just wait till you get me going on this next project uh which has been uh something I've been working on since I first found traces traces of this in the archives and I think 1995 in France, and um, the book project—it's coming. The book's coming out. The book uh, is coming out with Oxford uh, in June uh, 2018, and it's called "The Great Hanoi Rat Hunt: Empire, Disease, and Modernity in Colonial Vietnam." And what it is is a study of the um, the impact of French colonial urban planning when the French conquered Hanoi. They uh, started to rebuild the city along modern lines, uh, lines of modern urbanism. And they um, they established a beautiful sewer system because that's one of the, the things you do with an early 20th century city, right? State-of-the-art sewer system. Well, that creates a, a new ecosystem for rats. And with the new rail line to China and the steamship line, a new species of rats come in that start to move into the sewers. And they love it because there's, there's no predators there. There's all sorts of stuff that rats like, stinky food and places yeah. to, uh, to do whatever rats do, right? And they start to overpopulate the sewers. And they even start to come up into the French neighborhood, into the villas, and reports of them popping up in toilets every now and then, coming yeah. up the pipes. And that, that's gross, right? Yeah. That's gross. But then what's happening in the, in the 1890s? We have the start of the third global plague pandemic. And the bubonic plague comes out of Yunnan to Canton to Hong Kong, and then from Hong Kong goes global. And the plague shows up in Hanoi, and the French freak out because not only are the Vietnamese and Chinese getting plague, but the, the sewer rats bring it into the, um, to the French neighborhoods. And then so they, they, they go on this quixotic campaign to kill all the rats in Hanoi. And um, you're going to have to check out the book to see how that goes. Um, spoiler alert, it goes poorly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, and it has, has all sorts of comic uh, results and shows well, – the reason I love the story so much is it shows amazing Vietnamese agency. It shows subaltern agency in response to this supposedly you know, hegemonic colonial state. And uh, the locals in Hanoi figure out an absolutely wonderful way to completely subvert this colonial project of rat eradication. And once again, you know the 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 unintended consequence is the in, the inability yeah. to to be completely yeah. the 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 author and finisher of yeah. you know these grand state projects. It's a it's, yeah. yet another. <laughs> so so for, for this this book project, Oxford. Not only do I have a really cool story to tell, 
but I got it into the Oxford Graphic History series, which is um, a uh, a series where they take about uh, they, t- they take about 100 pages to graphically illustrate, make a cartoon representation of historians' archival research. You got you have to check this out. It's like it's like amazing. I can, I can think of. Uh, uh, the the march comes to mind about mm. John Lewis's uh, uh, struggle in the civil rights march. It's you know it's a way. So when you th- if you're thinking like uh, cartoon representation, now this is uh, this is uh, the the educational kind for sure. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, it's, and it's accompanied with um, a number of historical context essays. It's it's 100 pages of illustrated graphic history with 150 pages of essays supporting this, and you know make a great Christmas gift. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, uh, uh, we'll stay tuned, listeners. Uh, you'll hear more about this. And uh, I want to I wanna thank you again on behalf of the Center for, for joining us. And please come back. Oh, thank you so much. I'd love to come back. All right. Thank you. Crossroads would like to thank Joe Kinzer for today's music and the GV for production assistance. 谢谢您的收听，我们下次再见。